Welcome to the Research Reimagine podcast, brought to you by Nottingham Trent University. I'm your host, Helen Darby-Dowman, and I'll be inviting some of NTU's brightest minds to explore how their research is helping us to deepen our understanding of the world. From online addictions to transgender rights and sleep disorders, listen as we discuss some of society's most pressing challenges and uncover some of the ways our research is making a difference. Today, we delve into the intriguing world of banter exploring how it can enhance our relationships and sense of belonging. While banter is often seen as the glue, bonding friends and teammates, representing trust and camaraderie, it's not always positive. In this episode, our experts, Lauren Abel and Sarah Buglis from NTU Psychology, part of the university's School of Social Sciences, help us unravel the complexities of banter, discussing its potential to both unite and isolate especially among young people heading to university and seeking new friendships. Join us as we navigate the fine line between playful teasing and hurtful intentions, shedding light on the intricacies of social bonding in the university environment. Hi both, would you like to just start by briefly introducing yourselves? So I'm Lauren, I'm a social psychology lecturer at NTU Psychology and I do research on aggression and banter in social relationships and online and offline contexts. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm a Principal Lecturer in Psychology. Um, Like Lauren, I'm a member of the Bullying and Aggressive Behaviour Research Group and I do research into um, banter in online and offline contexts, online risks and kind of um, fear of missing out. So firstly, would you define banter for me? So banter is a form of communication um, that generally occurs between groups of individuals that know each other. So people who have kind of a shared social understanding, so maybe close friends or kind of close associates. Um, it's generally perceived as something that can be quite humorous and lighthearted when when done well. Um, and it's also, um, we like to refer to it as a form of kind of verbal ping pong. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that? Mark? Yeah, so I think the important thing about banter is that it needs to be um, kind of co-joint. So one person says something witty or something to the person and then the other person joins in, where it becomes less like banter if it's directed at one person and the other person obviously doesn't engage with it. So it's got to be reciprocal and it's got to be humorous and both people have got to be involved in the interaction rather than kind of a di- kind of a um, intended, sort of directed um, mocking or teasing. That wouldn't be banter. There needs to be that reciprocal exchange between two people. So I know within your research, you focus a lot on banter within university and within university sport. How prevalent do you think banter is within sport? Um, Well, we've looked at banter in sports common societies at universities. We haven't looked at it within sports outside of that sort of context. We were interested in banter because of the kind of social kind of setting of the the, um, social kind of groups and... um, the fact that a lot of our university students go out on nights out with those students, do kind of extra curricular activities with those students. So we were kind of interested in how students bond and use banter um, within both the sports setting, but also the kind of social setting with their friends, with their teammates. Yes, yeah, so some of our um, university students from our study reported banter fatigue. So this idea that banter was just constant. So banter in when they were in their sports clubs, then they got home and it was banter with their housemates and it's banter with their sports clubs on their phones. So rather than it being fun, it's now kind of getting old. So we're finding that their students are reporting it is prevalent in the sports club, in the societies that they're part of. I think also there's this perception amongst students that banter is something to be expected. So whether it's within a sports club or society or whether it's just kind of in the general kind of student socialisation 
it's this idea that actually people are coming to university, they're expecting banter is going to be a thing. Um, and therefore there's this acceptance almost that they need to kind of get used to this banter and they need to kind of, I suppose, in some ways put up with it. Um, one thing I would say is I, I think it's something that's potentially prevalent across universities and there has been a lot of previous research that is something that has inspired us into the likes of lad culture mm -hmm. and I think banter and lad culture very much kind of go together and I think some students kind of feel that this lad culture is quite pervasive across kind of university context so yeah. that's where the expectation comes in. So from your research then have you found that it, it is quite a, a new world to students when they come because I'm sure like we've all experienced banter from a younger age than when you first come to university. But is there quite a shift then from what you found by what they're used, these students are used to prior to coming to university and then what they experience when they're here? I think it's potentially their newfound independence. So for not all students, but for most students, it'll be potentially the first time that they've lived away from home. Um, they will be socialising with people on, on very much their own terms, making new connections. And it's that kind of needing to belong, that mm -hmm. wanting to fit into this new situation and therefore kind of the context is kind of lending itself to kind of want people wanting to make friends very quickly, mm -hmm. wanting to socialise, want to be accepted and therefore this kind of use of banter is coming through. Um, I don't think it's a case that it's something that's new to them. I think, as you've said, they do experience banter mm -hmm. prior to coming to university, um, whether it be kind of through their interaction with kind of chats and WhatsApp and like kind of online platforms and also kind of in the schoolyard and, and colleges. But I think it's that kind of stepping in, into independence. It's on their own terms now. They haven't got that kind of protective bubble of kind of the educational environment behind them that they would have had from, say, teachers and parents previously. And I suppose, as you said, Lauren, as well, they then also go home to it. So they're not going home mm -hmm. to their family setting. They're yeah, going exactly. home to a, a shared flat. Is There is fatigue. There's a sense of, as Sarah kind of said, this ex expectation. We're waiting for the banter to happen. We're waiting it. And then you, it happens. You kind of say it's funny, but then it carries on and it carries on and it carries on. Now it's no longer funny. And that becomes then problematic. That banter is no longer pro-social. It's no longer bonding. It's now uh, problematic for those people involved. Through your research, obviously, you went from looking at university students as a whole. And then I think you went into that further depth of sports societies. Was there a difference in what you found? Somewhat, yes. When we're looking at sports clubs and societies um, research, the students were talking about how, in much more detail, about how banter is being used to excuse inappropriate behaviour, much more than we found from the first study that looked at kind of general use. So, you know, this is inappropriate behaviour around sexism, things like this that are going on, happening with our students, kind of hazing and initiation um, type activities. So banter was being used as a catch-all for kind of all these kind of negative behaviours, which we didn't find from the kind of the first study, kind of looking at it more generally. I think in the first study, there was this kind of feeling that banter could cross the line, that there was the, the capacity for it to be inappropriate. But as Lauren said, it wasn't, they weren't, quite as explicit in terms of mm -hmm. telling us specific examples of yeah. where it had potentially crossed the line. They were kind of implying that it could be used inappropriately, that sometimes it made them feel uncomfortable. Um, but within that sports clubs and societies context, we were finding a lot more notable examples mm -hmm. of kind of where those situations were occurring. Yeah. Students were also talking about um, like the nighttime economy mm -hmm. and um, talking about how 
if um, they go out to a pub, but it's known as a student pub, and they kind of the banter crosses a line to becoming, say, sexist, they say it's kind of appropriate in a way that they'll, they'll take it there because it's a student pub. So they know it's wrong, but they'll, somehow they'll let it go. But they say if they were in a different pub that wasn't a student pub, they know that that wouldn't be acceptable because it's now out of that student space. That's interesting. So amongst outside of their peers or amongst their peers, are we talking at there? So with the students, so yeah, they know it's kind of crossed the line. Yeah. They know now the conversation's no longer this humorous, banterous exchange is going into, say, sexist kind of behaviour. But they sort of, I suppose, tolerate it because it's expected from students, expected in that social space in a student pub. But in a non-student pub or non-student space, they probably wouldn't accept it that much or they probably wouldn't engage in it because it's no longer a student space. That's really interesting. Why do you think that is beyond, obviously, what you've just said, that it's not a student pub? Is it because they're embarrassed from the wider audience? I think they potentially know that it could cross the line. It could be perceived quite negatively, that there might be reputational damage that could come from it. And I think students are quite savvy when it comes to understanding where that line of acceptability is. Um, in our first study with university students, they were quite clear on the fact that they understood what acceptable banter was. They had this kind of notion that, OK, if banter's with friends, if it's with someone close, if it's something that we share an understanding and kind of find a common ground for the humour, it's, it's fine. But the moment it starts to go public, the moment that there's the potential for third-party involvement or even witnesses that's when it gets more problematic because that in-joke, that kind of thing where people have that understanding, those others aren't in on that joke, so therefore they're forming their own opinion of what's going on. And for some people, that opinion could be quite negative. So I think there is an awareness that some of these in-jokes, some of these kind of forms of banter, they might be acceptable within the student body, but actually it's not going to be perceived like that outside. So they, they do know they're on the edge. That reputation damage is really important to think about in terms of, obviously Sarah was talking about reputation damage like from people who aren't part of that student group, but it's also our students have sort of voiced from our studies that they're scared of speaking up because then they'll be othered. They're now not part of that banter, so to speak. So that they could be othered rather than going, oh yeah, that's crossed the line, you're right. They'll probably get kind of, you're not in on the joke now, you're not part of this group. So they're trying to protect their reputation and the membership for their social group they're in with their peers. And this isn't just offline. This happens online as well. There's a, there's a lovely kind of snippet from the first paper where one of the participants highlighted that no one wants to be the person that goes, hold on, let's call a stop to it. Yeah. It's people want to feel as though they're involved, that they're belonging. So mm -hmm. therefore, they'll just sometimes go along with things to get that sense of belonging. Yeah. Um, even to the point where sometimes students flagged to us across both papers that they would literally sit and take banter that they felt was potentially inappropriate, that made them feel potentially uncomfortable, but they didn't want to kind of flag up to others that it made them feel uncomfortable because either they thought that it might make it occur more, so it might actually prompt people to say it again, or, again, as, as Lauren said, it's that reputational damage. They don't want other people going, oh, they can't take a joke, that sort of thing. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because that use of kind of it's just banter. Obviously, we've seen mm -hmm. it in a much wider sporting, you know, outside that university yeah. setting. Um, and it it is very much used within 
it within sports teams. I mean, I, I grew up in, in the world of sport quite a long time ago. <laughs> but, you know, it was very much because it was a very male-dominated arena. And I think banter at the time was very acceptable. So you just either got on board with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting that you're saying that people are aware that actually they're not actually finding it banter. So it, where does that line sit then between the... Is it just an excuse for kind of harmful comments... You know, because people are feeling they have to accept that it's banter, but where is that line for people? There's a bit of a distinction between students understanding and using banter in a way that kind of fits with this idea of banter being a form of light-hearted and humorous communication, and then people using inappropriate forms of communication, but then using the term banter. Mm -hmm. So... It's not a case that they're actually engaging in banter. They're just using that term as an excuse. Sometimes students will engage in behaviours which they might fall over, they might not score a goal, they might kind of mess up within a sporting environment. Those are things that they can't necessarily control but could be quite humorous. Now, there is an acceptance that on those occasions they're kind of leaving themselves open maybe to a bit of teasing. And on the sporting kind of plane that's something that's generally quite acceptable, would be seen as banter, unless it gets very repetitive. But there are other situations where people will say something that's inappropriate or they'll direct something that is intentionally hurtful or harmful, but then they use the term banter. And it's using the term banter to excuse the behaviour where the problem kind of lies. So students do generally, as we've seen across both papers, have this acceptance that there is a bit of a distinction between using the term and the actual behaviour itself. Yeah. So why is it, do you think, that it's so easy for banter to turn into bullying? From our research, we've identified a number of potential reasons why banter might cross the line. Um, some of these include um, banter not being reciprocal. So um, if we think of what bullying is, bully, bullying is very much a targeted behaviour. So it's where someone is intentionally trying to cause harm or um, be hurtful towards another person. If people perceive banter as being something that's targeted, it's the intent is harmful, it's directed at them, that isn't banter, that would be bullying because there's no, no kind of reciprocal nature to that exchange. And our students have spoken about this in terms of if you're in a social group, and usually the banter kind of spreads around the group. So it might be one person gets a bit of banter and then the next day it's another person. The issue is if it's just one person in that group perceiving that um, they're the target of this banter, which actually is now, is crossed the line. It's one person who's just getting that kind of, um, those remarks at them and they're not engaging back. So they're not part of the banter. But the kind of group are sort of, maybe it's the fact that other members of the group are not getting their retorts. So maybe that's why they're not going to speak out about it. But at that point, we have crossed the lines being directed at one person and it's repeating. People don't like being teased about things they find very personal. Mm -hmm. So I think there's an acceptance that there are topics that are kind of out of bounds when it comes to banter. So making fun of people's um, race, um, homophobic slurs, um, anything that would be kind of very personal from a, a demographic perspective, really, um, is, is kind of perceived as out of bounds. People are a lot more comfortable with exchanging in banter where it is something that's kind of out of their control. So they've tripped up, they've, they've maybe said something that someone's found humorous that other people are then teasing about. So it, that kind of personal perspective is, is problematic. 
Another way we have to think about is intent. Now, intent's quite a grey area. So someone could engage in banter and it crosses a line, but they didn't mean to. But then you get to the point, okay, how harmful is it if they didn't intend to do it? But you've also got maybe that they intended to be um, potentially problematic and try and actually hurt someone's feelings, but then they deny that they've done that with the kind of phrase, it's just banter. So intent can be incredibly hard to determine, especially if you don't know who it is. You might be able to to determine the intent from your friend, as opposed to maybe someone who's just in your sports club who you don't know very well. So intent's incredibly, I think it's quite a hard one for in terms of distinguishing between when something was, um, something's gone wrong. So the person genuinely thought they were making a joke and it's gone wrong versus someone who knew they were making a joke and then is trying to deny it. That can be quite hard, I think, to grasp which one it can be. Totally agree there. I think as a general rule of thumb, though, I think if people are exchanging kind of banter type communications, if one person in that communication starts to feel uncomfortable or demonstrates any kind of unease, I think that's the point where people need to kind of Mm -hmm. read the situation and realise, actually, I may have crossed the line, even if I didn't intend to. Yeah, I can imagine within, say, sports society, sports clubs, you've got little groups, haven't you? Lots Mm -hmm. of little pockets. And it's kind of that spread, I imagine, where is it okay for one person to say it? But actually, is it okay, even though you're one team, is it all right for this other group to say it? That distinction between something that's quite private and between kind of maybe two people or even just a small group of people that can be perceived quite differently to something that then goes much more public even amongst a sports team um, it's easy to feel targeted if you've got a lot of people voicing kind of that type of communication towards you and again I suppose there's a fine line between is that targeted then in which case we're potentially crossing that line Um, that public private issue comes up quite a lot quite a lot across both papers um in a private setting people are generally communicating with people that they have a closer relationship with um at least a good shared understanding whereas in a more public setting it's you're lending yourself to kind of situations where you might have a lot of bystanders that don't understand Mm -hmm. kind of the social situation they don't understand the jokes and the banter that's actually occurring um it's that kind of situation you wouldn't shout out an embarrassing thing about a friend across the top of people's heads in a pub. But it's that kind of perception. If you're in a public space, people might perceive it as being a bit problematic and, and damaging. It's the same as if something happens privately, then it gets shared publicly. So you know, some of our um, participants reported you know, things being shared on social media sites that you thought you just shared in like a smaller group or being tagged in pictures that are being told... A banter and your the participants thought it's not banter because all my family and friends can see this and they weren't part of the event so it's good if it goes from private to public as well without anyone's kind of permission that's also problematic and when things go public as well and we see this especially in online settings you've got that capacity for third parties to pile in mm-hmm. um in our research we did find especially in, in the first paper with university students this idea that when things when communication starts being put on, say, university online forums or, say, social media sites, it is under scrutiny then of individuals that maybe those people don't know. Um, But those people are very quick to comment because they're behind a keyboard. They're not necessarily seeing what the extent of the damage might be. So having those third parties suddenly wade in, make jokes, share things, screenshot things. There's, there's all sorts of ways that that can go potentially wrong. 
I guess that's quite a big difference between the online element mm-hmm. to that of being out in a mm-hmm. pub, as you described earlier. It's okay in, a, in one environment, in a student pub, but actually instantly they've got that marker of it's not okay in a different pub. Yeah. But yet online, it's the same principle, isn't it? Yes. But mm-hmm. people aren't thinking about it the same way. Yeah. Um, another key thing when it comes to online communication and banter is the use of emojis and graphical cues. Um, this was hinted at within our research um, in the fact that people will often use emojis and graphical cues online to express kind of their humour or their perceptions of particular communication. Sometimes the banter might be the exchange of, say, the emojis or the, the memes themselves. But there are other situations where people might use those graphical cues to actually excuse their behaviour. So they might put something that's potentially hurtful towards someone and then close with a laughing emoji. So they're immediately kind of suggesting that they didn't mean it. It was just a bit of banter. But that hurtful comment's still there. Um, We're hoping to further this research. We actually have a PhD candidate working with us at the moment who is specifically looking into emoji use and graphical cues. So watch this space we will hopefully have more on that you you mentioned at the very beginning that students in the first paper you talked to students about coming to university and there's this expectation that they will experience banter um, and that's kind of part of the experience and it's so important for forming friendships and so forth and obviously sports societies and clubs are a really important way of making those however do we think? Do you think it is actually acceptable for banter to be that position of acceptance? And should we be looking at using it as a way of bonding? I think if used appropriately, banter can be something really positive. And I think that's something that really needs to be clearly stated, is that banter isn't all bad. Banter can be very socially bonding. It can actually be quite a pleasant experience. Um, some people find it really useful in terms of breaking down barriers, kind of breaking the ice with people and kind of especially when they're meeting new people for the first time having something that's a bit light-hearted a bit jovial really helps them to kind of come together and, and make those bonds but of course there are going to be situations where sometimes students may feel as though they have to engage with particular behaviors in order to belong and it's if they then feel uncomfortable engaging in those behaviors that it might be a bit of an issue. Lauren, do you want to talk about kind of hazing? Yes, I do. I just want to add as far as from what um, Sarah was talking about is we have spoken to our first years in tutorials about banter and about how to use it appropriately. And our students get very, very engaged with it because it obviously is something they're very aware of. And I don't think they um, feel comfortable enough to kind of speak out when it kind of crosses a line. And that's what we want to kind of work on is how do we get students to recognise when something's maybe now inappropriate, could be hurtful and um, be in a position where just to say to that person or to someone, this has now crossed the line. I think that's the issue. A lot of students feel they have to go go with this behaviour that's labelled as banter, that it's no longer banter. But banter, as Sarah said, as, as it is, is a pro-social, really great bonding behaviour, which we'll encourage is when banter then becomes something different. But so that the issue is the students aren't um, still calling it banter when it's no longer banter. But um, to kind of build on what um, Sarah said, one of the kind of problematic ways that we're finding banter is being used at university is within the sports women's societies in terms of when freshers join um, sports women's societies. So um, 
they ha- normally have to go through some kind of some sort of initiation, and um, these can be labelled as banter. So our students were reporting in the studies that they didn't want to kind of engage in them, but they were labelled as banter, and their fear was okay. If, if it's banter, then it must be okay. So they were having this dissonance of going, it's banter, so it's fine, but also I really don't want to do it and it's not fine. And then be having this kind of conflicting emotions about if they don't do it, they're not going to be part of the sports club anymore. But if they do do it, they feel uncomfortable because they think it's inappropriate. It's also worth stating, though, that actually hazing and initiations is something that generally has been banned by most universities. Um, and I think by reframing those behaviours as banter, mm-hmm. some sports clubs and societies are trying to kind of push those initiations through a bit of a, a loophole. Um, I think one interesting point that came out in the sports clubs and societies research on that was that some students talked about their choice in terms of when they joined sports clubs and societies and there was almost this sense that actually if they left it a month or two they might be able (laughs) to avoid those initiations that banter at the beginning of term but there was also the worry that if they left it a month or two they'd miss out on all the bonding and they'd forever feel as though they were outsider in the group Mm -hmm. so they kind of flagged up that they were really trying to navigate this fine line of should I just bite the bullet and get involved in these initiations and kind of just take it that it's banter or should I just wait it out but then risk being kind of socially ostracised? Mm. So I think it's a really complex yeah. thing for students to kind of try and navigate. I guess it goes back to that kind of where do you fit within that social setting mm-hmm. um, in terms of if you're in the group that knows what the banter is, it's acceptable to say it. If you're not, then it's not. This is fine line of where do we go with it is there an element of what you've done prior to that as well in terms of if for instance you came to university and you'd been playing for a rugby team for a long time for instance and then you come and join the the university rugby team like is there a difference between that and somebody that's like oh I've, I've dabbled at school but then I just come and join a big team is there kind of a different level of experience that has a big part to play in the way that banter is delivered and and received um, I imagine so. We didn't ask our participants that question. It'd be really interesting to find out. I know our um, third year project students have done something similar. But um, I would imagine that if you have come from a particular um, sports team, maybe a quite a masculine sports team, that that banter, um, you maybe got used to a certain type of banter. And then at university where there's kind of less um, monitoring of kind of what you're doing, what's going on in comparison to maybe sports clubs teams or college teams, that, that it could potentially escalate, actually, especially um, in the nighttime economy at university as well. But I think if you are used to it, then it becomes your norm. That is the normal level of um, banter or what is perceived as banter, which then people who are coming in and maybe haven't experienced sports clubs or sports teams and maybe they've joined for the first time, it might be quite a lot to take. What would you suggest to somebody that maybe hears something or experiences something that they believe is a bit beyond what is just banter? How, how would you suggest they dealt with it? I think it's important that people don't just keep quiet and keep it to themselves. Um, I suppose some concerns that came through from our research was the fact that people didn't like to speak out. They didn't like to make a noise about banter. But I think really, if people feel uncomfortable, they need to be reporting it to appropriate bodies. So 
at university, that would be reporting it to maybe their personal tutor, um, the support within the student union where they people can go and report kind of inappropriate behaviours there. And I think if it makes someone feel uncomfortable, they shouldn't have to sit in silence and just take it. They really do need to kind of stand up and be counted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because if banter is used correctly, then everyone is enjoying it. Someone, when we get to a point where someone isn't enjoying it, feels uncomfortable, then we need to kind of get people to recognise that there's something not quite right there. So finally, like, what would be your advice to a collective of students in that situation where they're joining a social group? Like, how do they try and monitor what is happening so it's fun for everybody? Students need to be conscious of what banter is and what banter isn't. I think if students are prepared for the fact that they might be engaging in potentially humorous, hopefully light-hearted, non-targeted <laughs> communication, then that's something that if everyone's in on the joke, if everyone's finding it amusing, then that can be perceived as banter. What I wouldn't want students to feel is that they have to accept behaviours that are being couched as banter, but are not banter. So one thing that we've come up against numerous times within the research is the fact that things to do with alcohol seem to be labelled as banter. Things that are potentially unacceptable from a sexualised language perspective may be labelled as banter. Things where people are made to feel uncomfortable could be labelled as banter. In those situations, students just need to be aware that they don't have to put up with that kind of communication. Yeah, I agree. And I think, um, as we kind of mentioned before, we are sort of educating our first years in psychology. We have discussions about banter and appropriate banter. And we also have to discuss this with the student union and they know that um, they do talk to their students in the in the um, sports club and sports teams about appropriate communication. So it's just about going, we're not saying banter's bad. We're saying banter is actually really good and we encourage it. But the students should feel empowered to go, you know what, that's maybe gone too far and know that they can speak up and it's okay and someone will listen and someone will value the fact that that actually has gone too far. And I guess by creating that open environment then it allows everyone to actually get involved probably without the worry also of actually I can say I'll say something and if somebody tells you oh I don't like that you can actually either withdraw a bit from that conversation you can change the narrative whereas I suppose if nobody's saying anything we're in a situation where nobody really realizes some people won't even realize that perhaps it's offensive is that fair yeah I think um we all sometimes, at times, I know I've got um, had a joke and then probably repeated it a few too many times to my best friend. And you, you go, oh, yeah, actually, I've gone too far there. And, you know, you're, you're accountable. You own it and go, yeah, I've done that. And that's all we're talking about. It's just kind of people going, OK, maybe I've gone too far. Apologise. I'm accountable and move on. So it's kind of having that open dialogue that sometimes it can happen and there's no negative intent intended. Just there's a line that has been crossed and someone is uncomfortable and it's just being able to kind of talk about that. I think it's just about being mindful of other people's feelings. So if students are engaging in communication, if they're engaging in particular behaviours, just to be mindful that not everyone is going to perceive things in the same way that they do. So what you might feel as a joke, others might not feel as a joke. So it's about kind of reading reading the responses that you get from those individuals. And if, if in any way they feel uncomfortable, you just have to think, OK, I've maybe crossed the line. It's time to stop. But if in doubt, just don't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's been really great. 
If you'd like to find out more about Sarah and Lauren's work, please have a look in the episode description. You've been listening to the Research Reimagined podcast by Nottingham Trent University. For all of the latest news from the research community at NTU, follow us on Twitter at NTU underscore research or sign up to our research newsletter by visiting ntu.ac.uk forward slash research. Thanks for listening.